Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'll begin by reading the first two verses and then join me in reading the Great Commission, which is in bold. But then the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus has designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. When Jesus dropped in on our world, he started something that meant to keep going. Now it's our turn to keep the message moving, to reach, to grow, to equip others until Jesus returns. Get ready to hear exactly what Jesus said we need to do. So let me take a moment and just kind of talk about the state of the church, if I could. Uh, We are going to do one more sermon from the book of Numbers, not today, but just before we install pastor next uh, whenever that happens we will do joshua's succession which is numbers 27 so uh, in case you're wondering well isn't there more in the book of numbers and there's a lot more but we are going to do one more sermon in the journey series but it'll be a while i don't know exactly when but just before we install pastor next we will use that passage to help us understand what we're doing This is the first sermon series that I will have done at First of Anne that is actually specifically targeting things that we are learning from our health assessment. And we're going to talk about the Great Commission and how that should inform who we are and what we do individually and as an organization, as a church. So that's what we're jumping into this morning. I will do two sermons. Then we'll have the missions focus for three weeks, and then I'll do two more, kind of bookending that. But this is not just a sermon series that is designed to shape what you do and how you think. It's also designed to help us as a church address some areas where Jesus wants us to hear something and to do something. And I'm going to do my best to make it crystal clear. And then it's going to be time for us as a congregation to step up and say, yes, Jesus, we'll do it. So here we go. 50 or 60 years, I don't know exactly when, but after Jesus' resurrection, so about 50 years after Jesus arose from the grave, he sent a message to us through the apostle John. And John wrote down that message. It's the book of Revelation. And I want to quote you one of the verses in which Jesus is actually talking. John wrote down what Jesus said, but Here's what he's saying to us. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. And that's actually repeated five times in Revelation. Jesus wants us to understand, I'm coming quickly. You understand that, right? I'm coming quickly. Now, quickly, the word tachus does not means soon necessarily what it means is in rapid succession in other words 
when I start coming, things are going to move so fast, you won't have time to prepare. You're either prepared before it happens or you're not. And so he's saying, I'm coming quickly. He says, my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. In other words, how we use the time between now and his return matters profoundly. Now, this is not a one-off. Making the most of our time is a theme that shows up in many places in the New Testament, not just in the book of Revelation, but especially in the New Testament. It's in the whole Bible, but especially in the New Testament. Make the most of your time. Behold, I'm coming quickly, so make the most of your time. This is something that Jesus is saying to us. Are you going to waste your time, or are you going to use it? Because when I launch the sequence of coming things will happen so fast you need to be ready now I want you to listen to the uh, how Jesus closed one of his sermons you know we 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 like to kind of bring things right to a head you know have the story I've got a story for this sermon let's listen to how Jesus closed one of his sermons because he spoke to this precise issue here's what he says Therefore, this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the last thing he said. He's trying to fix this in their minds. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fail for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came. The winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Did you catch what the big difference was? He said, hear my words and act on them. Jesus has said something that he wants us to do. And if we act on them, we will do what's smart. If we don't, we will do what's foolish. I can't help but remember an incident that occurred in my previous life. I was a construction worker before pursuing ministry, so I worked in heavy construction. And I remember that uh, the crew I was working with in Tacoma, Washington, we were actually uh, putting in some sewer lines in along Commencement Bay, which is the main harbor that the city of Tacoma is on. And someone uh, came up with an idea or talked to someone about a side job. That means, you know, where you go work after hours and accomplish something for someone. And so what we were going to do was put, uh, the pilings had already been sunk. We were going to put in uh, some uh, large planks. These would be like 4 by 12 planks behind some pilings. And we'd do that at low tide. And then we could come in uh, later and put, you know, hundreds and hundreds of yards of dirt behind that and establish some more property that could be used along the waterfront. So I remember uh, I and several others, we had the the chainsaws and spikes and whatever. We were installing all of these planks 
And so we built basically a, a bulwark that was maybe 10 feet high, all of this on the landward side of the pilings and did this at like 2 a.m. when the tide was very low. And uh, so let's say that was a Friday night, I don't remember exactly, but anyway, so then we left and looked forward to later being able to actually fill in behind there with the dirt. Unbeknownst to us, this is pre, I guess, all the weather apps, there was an incredible storm that happened shortly after we had done this. And the waves, apparently, just crashed against those boards that we had put up and all of them were taken out. In fact, when we showed up the next day to see our work, it was gone. There was no sign of it. All of those planks that we had labored to put up, they were out in the bay somewhere, I, I guess. We ended up working hard, doing a whole bunch and yet it amounted to nothing. Jesus is saying, hear my words and act on them and you won't waste your effort. Hear my word, don't act on it. You're gonna be far worse than Jim and his failed bulwark. It's not gonna count. Paying attention to what Jesus says and ordering our lives accordingly is the ultimate smart play between now and Jesus' return. Failure to hear and apply Jesus' instructions is like investing a whole lot of time and energy in something that is ultimately pointless. So I have to ask, what would Jesus like us to do? I am happy to report that Jesus provided a clear and comprehensive set of instructions for those who want to make their time count. It was actually delivered after his death. <laughs> now, it's, this is fascinating to me. Jesus made an appointment for after his death. I mean, who does that? You know? All right, let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, let's see. Looks like I'll be betrayed on Friday. According to your account, I'll be betrayed in the night, and then I'm going to die. But a couple weeks after that, I'd like to meet it. Who does that? <laughs> but listen to this passage. This is on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jesus has, they've had the, the upper room discourse, the Last Supper, and then they've moved out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus will be praying in the Garden of Gethsemane soon, but he makes this statement. Uh, he's talking to them about how the sheep will be scattered when he is betrayed, and he's, he's gonna die. And then he says, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, would that not strike you as a little unusual? Let's see. I'm going to be betrayed. You're all going to be scattered. I'm going to be crucified. But then after my crucifixion, I want to meet. I'm going to be raised. And then I'd like to meet you in a certain location. That's crazy, isn't it? But that wasn't the only time that Jesus said this. In Matthew 28, 7, at the sight of the empty tomb, an angel appeared to the two Marys and said this, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. 
So they said, Jesus is alive and he's going to Galilee. Tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. Shortly after that angelic encounter, Jesus personally met these women. So Jesus came and he said, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Now, according to other gospel accounts, they, it would seem, stayed in Jerusalem for at least one week before they went to Galilee. And according to a passage I'm going to show you, I haven't shown you yet, the actual location was specified. Jesus said to them, I want you to go to this specific location. Now, I don't know if he said, now, I'm going to be there on, August, on April 12 or something like that. He didn't say that as far as we know. But he said, go to this location. That's where I want you to go. Which, by the way, think about what's going on here. Jesus was crucified and then arose. And so the first question is going to be, what just happened? That's the question that the disciples on the Emmaus Road were asking. What just happened? We'll unpack that passage on Easter Sunday. But now the question is, what now? Okay, Jesus arose. We, we thought we were going to start the kingdom. Are we still on, is that still on track? What now? Jesus has set up this meeting in Galilee specifically because he wants to address that what now question. What are we supposed to do? Where are we going from here? Now, there's an account in Corinthians in which it says, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. I cannot prove that that meeting is the mountain meeting in Galilee. But I know this, I know that if the disciples were told, Jesus says, after, after my death, I'm going to meet you, and here's the location, here's the mountain in Galilee, and I'll be there. Where would you go? I know where I'd go. I'd drop whatever I'm doing, and I'd take the RV. I don't have an RV, but if I had one, I'd take the RV, and I'd go park it at the mountain. I would not be surprised if 500 people had the same idea because Paul says, you know, at one time he appeared to 500. That could well be. There's a clue in the passage that suggests as much. What happened at that meeting? Matthew, he's the tax collector. He's the accounting guy. So he published the minutes from the meeting. Here's the minutes. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now that some were doubtful suggests to me that, and to many interpreters, that there may be others there, maybe the 500. Because for the, for the disciples, their doubt issues had been resolved, even to the satisfaction of a guy named Thomas one week later. And we'll actually look at that passage a week after Easter. We're going to track the events of Easter in real time. Some were doubtful. Some worshiped him, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew's summary of what was said. First thing I want you to note is that there are four appearances of the word all. He says, all authority has been given to me. I want you to go to all the nations. I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you and I will be with you, and the expression is actually all the days. I will be with you always. Basically, what Jesus is declaring is, I have been given all the power and authority to support a bold mission. So go to every people group on the planet. Teach them to observe everything I said, and I will partner with you every single day until I return. Sounds like a big, a big mission. Now, someone could object and say, well, that's, that's fine. That's fine for the 12. That's fine for the 500 if they were there. But I wasn't there. So that wasn't given to me. And I would, in reply, say, well, did you notice? He says, I will be with you until the end of the age. In other words, this command set is in force until Jesus returns. Jesus has not returned yet. Now, it might happen tomorrow. I'd be all for it. I don't know when he's coming back. But until he returns, this is the command set. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what I want you to do. Did you notice the theater of operations? It extends to all the nations. And actually, that expression is panta ta ethne, which means all the people groups, every ethnic group. If you are on a location on planet Earth, which I assume everybody here would say, yes, I am on planet Earth, this is a command set that is pertinent to the entire globe. And just in case you're still not convinced, I would say Jesus charges the disciples to teach disciples everything I have commanded you. And the nearest command is the one he gave eight words earlier in which he said, make disciples. So basically, this is not just something given to the 12 or 500. Every follower of Jesus who occupies a space on this planet and occupies the time between now and when Jesus returns has been called to be makers of disciples. That's our mission. You want to waste your time? Hear his words and don't do it. You want to make your time count? Hear his words and do what he's asking because he is asking us. He is asking first of Anne to embrace his words in the Great Commission. Now Mark has an executive summary that's a little shorter of this same meeting and he recounts the same language but he adds an important detail. Here's what he says. Uh, and Jesus said to them, go into all the world and that's the same word, for example, go is peruomai, same language, but then he says, preach the gospel to all creation. 
So according to Mark, preaching the gospel is a vital component of the process of making disciples. And he adds it to the word go. In other words, going and preaching are a part of one aspect of this. So why is this so critical to go preach? Well, think about this for a minute. Let's assume that Jesus died on the cross and was raised and no one knew about it. That he had made no disciples who would report it. Who in this room would know if we didn't hear it from someone? So when he gives the command, go, and as the Mark detail, go preach, basically what he's saying is, you have been commissioned to make known an event in history that will not be made known unless you go preach. In Romans, Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? The, man, the command to go preach the gospel in order to make disciples launched Jesus' primary message delivery system, which is us. Jesus has left. Oh, he's here spiritually. But he's not here on the planet in the same way that he was during his earthly ministry, making known the gospel. He's left us to do that. He's preparing a place for us. He will return. We will meet him in the air and we will forever be with him. But until that moment, we are the ones who have been commissioned to make known the incredible event that Jesus died for our sins and to call men to embrace him. So what I want to do this morning is unpack some of the, the structure of this command set. We've been left here on a planet to fulfill the Great Commission. What does that mean we need to do? So let's examine closely what Jesus has directed all his followers to do until he returns. If you name the name of Jesus, this is your instruction set from Jesus. Now, this passage in Matthew includes a core command. There's one command, one imperative around which orbit some other elements. It's going to also identify three key process elements. The, the command is make disciples. How do I do that? Do it this way, this way, and this way. Do these three things. Basically what Jesus is saying in this passage is do this and here's how. So let's look at this and what I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do is maybe give you some highlighting that shows you different phrases. So he says, therefore go make disciples of all the nations and make the disciples... Make disciples is the core command. That's the imperative. This is what I want you to do. The target group is identified as pantata ethne, which is a Greek expression that means all the eth, did you hear ethne? He's not talking about going to nations per se. He's talking about going to every people group. So we are to make disciples of every people group. This is the basis for global missions. This is why we go to every people group. But it also focuses on those among whom we live. Uh, there are people from a people group who live next door to you. 
just as there are people from other people groups who live in other parts of the world. There may be someone from a different people group who lives next door to you. But those are the people that we are supposed to reach. This is really dramatic, what Jesus is telling the disciples. He's saying, make disciples of every ethnic group. Now, if you were a Peter or someone, we don't have a record of it, but they could easily say, whoa, 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 whoa. Did I just hear you right, Jesus? Every, Every people group? Not long before this event, Jesus had actually commissioned the 12, and here's the instruction set that goes with that. These 12, Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in that instruction set, he's saying something very similar. In fact, he's using the same words. He says, as you go, which is my preach, which is Caruso, same word as Mark uses, That part's the same. What's not the same is he says, you're just going to Israel, nobody else. But now in the Great Commission, Jesus is directing that disciple makers reach Jews and everyone else. That is earth-shaking news. The Great Commission is about reaching all people groups. But Jesus actually had to prepare Peter to cross this divide. (laughs) The the gospel was shared, and there were originally 120, and then the church grew by 3,000 on day one. That's amazing. But the 12, or the 11, were not sharing with Gentiles on the front end that barrier was not really breached until later Uh, here's here's what happened you can read it in Acts 10 I won't read all of Acts 10 but Jesus had someone named Cornelius that he wanted to hear the good news Cornelius is as best we know the first Gentile follower of Jesus Christ and so uh, Jesus wants Cornelius to hear the gospel. And in a vision, God told Cornelius, here's what you need to do. You know, send a group to this location, ask for this guy, have him come. Now, interestingly, at the same time that Cornelius is hearing from God, God is having a conversation with Peter. And Peter sees this scene of unclean things presented before him and he goes no 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 not gonna eat that and right when the third vision concludes there's a knock on the door uh pardon me is i'm looking for a guy named peter oh yeah he's upstairs he said he wanted us to fix him lunch we're just about done but anyway you can you can go up and talk to him Hello, Peter. Um, you probably you don't know us. Uh, yes, we're Gentiles. We're goyim, but um, 
we saw in a vision and God told us to come here and get you and bring you to our, our master's house because there's something that he wants you to share with us. <laughs> and Peter goes, ding, 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 light bulb moment. That vision was just not about some indigestion or some hunger for lunch. That was about God trying to make a point, which is, remember the Great Commission? Pontata ethne, every people group. I want you to go to Gentiles. And Peter did. He went into the home of Cornelius. And everybody's looking because they're kind of going, okay, what's up? God said we needed to hear this guy, so what do we need to hear? And then Peter shared. And it was stunning. And he was the first, but not the last of non-Jews and non-Samaritans. There was another situation like this with Samaritans earlier. And he was the first one, as far as we know, of millions who were led to Christ because a disciple-maker embraced pantata ethne. Now, make disciples is one word. It's an imperative. He's basically saying, do this. And the product is identified as a disciple. You know, you are to make disciples. What's a disciple? It actually, a disciple, a mathetes, uh, comes from a Greek word manthano, which is a verb that means to learn. For example, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn manthano from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, make disciples means make learners, Jesus learners. Uh, Jesus said to those who were believing him, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So it's not just I'm going to learn from him, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to become like him. A disciple believes in Jesus, but he's also a doer who aligns what he says and does with Jesus' word. He hears and heeds Jesus. Ooh, that sounds a lot like what you said earlier in the sermon, right? The wise man hears and does. That's what a disciple is. He's one who hears and does. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. A disciple is someone who is a learner and a doer and a becomer. He's becoming like Jesus. And this is what we have been commissioned to produce. Everyone in this room, Jesus says, I have left you here on this planet. I would have liked to have kind of zapped you off the planet to come be with me the minute you came to Christ, but we've got a mission to do. And I have left you here in order to make disciples, which are those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have trusted him for salvation and who are becoming like his son. Now, three participles explain the process because you could say, okay, how do we do that? Well, there are three process elements that are captured by the word go, baptizing, teaching. Go is a participle indicating that you can't make disciples by inert and staying put. You have to make intentional contact with lost people. The go stage challenges us to make connections with neighbors, with coworkers, with fellow students, with people we meet along the way. It's about becoming a people on the move who are purposefully reaching out to others. 
I've heard it said, now I'm sure this isn't true here, but I've heard some say uh, in maybe previous churches that I've been, oh yeah, our job is to bring them to church and then you share the gospel with them. Well, I have no problem with that, as you know. But to make disciples means you bring the gospel to them. You make intentional contact with people in the crowd for the purpose of building a relationship that can serve as the context in which you share Jesus Christ with them. Remember Mark's addition? He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. We go, but we use our words. Uh, we share with the people we contact some incredibly good news. Now, baptizing is the next process element. So we first make intentional contact with lost people and we share with them the good news. Then we baptize them, which is really about taking someone who has decided to follow Jesus and providing the means for them to publicly declare themselves as followers of Jesus. Water baptism does not save. The thief on the cross was very much saved, even though he was not baptized. But baptism is the means by which one publicly affirms, Jesus is my savior, and I'm trusting him for my salvation, and I'm committed to following him. It's kind of like a press conference in which you reveal something. The third process element is identified by the word teaching. When someone is baptized, they get the name badge that says follower of Jesus. But teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you is about helping them actually live in such a way that the ID badge is unnecessary. You can actually see it. They live like Jesus. That's who they are. So take those who've been baptized and enroll them in the lifelong school of learning and living. The word translated teaching doesn't just denote impartation of information, but also transformation. And the curriculum is clearly identified in the passage. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we take all that Jesus commanded, everything Jesus taught us about how to think, to speak, to live. And then it says to observe or to keep, meaning we teach people how to actually do what Jesus says. Disciples live in a way where the commands of Jesus are their compass. That's how they live. They keep the commandments of Jesus. This is not just about Bible study. It's more like mentoring helping someone becoming, become the living embodiment of what Jesus taught. That's our mission. So if you look up here, you'll see this circle. A disciple maker is going to go preach to the crowd. He's gonna make intentional contact with people for the purpose of sharing the good news and bring those who are ready to a point of identifying publicly with Jesus Christ the Savior by being baptized. And then they become a disciple. And then we invest in them by teaching them how to observe or keep everything that Jesus has commanded. Which, by the way, would eventually lead us to teach them how to make disciples. That's a command. So that they, in turn, could do the same. That's our mission. That's what we have been left here on this planet to do, is to make disciples. We make disciples by making intentional contact with people, telling them the good news. That's go preach. We baptize those who become Jesus' followers and then teach them how to live like Jesus' followers. 
but we got to speak. Even somebody like Paul could be intimidated into silence. Here's a vision that Paul had in the night. Uh, the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city. Even someone as bold as Paul can go into run silent, run deep mode. But God had many people he wanted for himself in Ephesus. He says, Paul, use your words. Speak up. Make intentional contact and start talking. God has many people in Memphis. They will not be reached unless we start talking. I began by asking the question, how can we make the most of our time until Jesus comes? Here's what Paul would say. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. We as a congregation need to maximize, leverage every opportunity to be able to share Christ. The next three sermons will help you understand how to do that. Outsiders, that's a phrase that's used for those who do not yet know Christ. Make the most of the time before Jesus comes back. This is not a waste. This is making your time count. By seizing every opportunity to wisely connect with outsiders and promote their true good by sharing them the gospel. In the summer of 2007, I was the pastor at Collierville Bible Church at the time. I first met someone I'm going to call Alice. Alice had never heard of Collierville Bible Church. She had come home from work to discover her children missing. And a phone call confirmed that they had gone with neighbors to an Awana picnic. So she got directions from her neighbor, and that's how I first met her. She had come from Vietnam at age 19 to the United States. And now she was standing on the church grounds asking, what is an Awana? <laughs> what, what means Awana? Two things became apparent in our conversation. She was thirsty for something more, but she did not understand the good news. So I clearly and simply, here we're out having a picnic, explain the gospel. I talked about what it means to receive and believe in Jesus as her savior. I asked her if what I was saying made sense and she said yes and it was obvious she was ready to accept the gift of salvation in Jesus' name. I'm, I'm grateful for Collierville Bible Church loaning us that cross that's back there where we want you to pray because I took her to the foot of that cross and she uh, that was in the worship center at Collierville Bible Church and there she prayed and began her journey with Christ. I accompanied her to my office where I gave her a little booklet, 31 Days as a New Believer. It's an Evantel resource that I've found to be a great resource. And then we walked to the welcome center of the church. And uh, in the welcome center, there's a, a water fountain, kind of a, a waterfall uh, that we also, uh, it was a, we also used it for baptisms. But when we weren't using it for baptism, it was just kind of like a waterfall that would flow there. 
And I was just talking with her about her new life in Christ. And as I was talking to her and this waterfall was falling behind me, something clicked in Alex's, in Alice's memory and she just started shivering. And I said, are, are you okay? Goosebumps covered her arms. Wonder washed over her countenance. Are you okay? She explained a dream she had experienced two nights before, a dream that had just become real. As I stood in front of that fountain, uh, she realized she had seen this exact scene in her, in her dream. The waterfall, my appearance, and apparently my stance. Somehow I was standing a certain way. I don't know what that is, but anyway, standing a certain way. And it all lined up with one of the visions in her dream. She, she recognized that. There were two main scenes in her dream. In the first, Jesus was caring for a newborn who was adult-sized. And the second event was of a man who took her to two rooms where something profound happened and who was standing in a certain way in front of a fountain. In that moment when reality intersected with her dream, Alice realized she was that newborn and I was the one God was using to assist her in that new birth. God had shown her beforehand what he intended to do for the thirsty soul. How fitting that it said over the top of that waterfall, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. I'm still in awe when I recall that story. God was already drawing Alice to himself. He had already planned ahead by giving her a glimpse of what he planned to do it simply remained for me to introduce myself talk about her journey and share some amazingly good news so here's my question who is your Alice or Al God may have already prepared them for a conversation with you this week here's your chance how can we make the most of the time is your chance make the most of the opportunity talk to them tell them about the greatest thing that has ever happened to you find out where they're at what are they struggling with what are they going through Jesus says do that it will be worth it you are making your time count First of Anne, we are here for the Alices of Memphis, and they're all around us. We just got to talk. Let's pray. Father, the enemy wants us to be silent, wants to intimidate us into not speaking up. Father, we want to be bold in the confidence that you are with us, that you want to partner with us as we share the truth. Jesus, we want to be found faithful, doing what you left us here to do, making disciples by seeking out those who don't know you, baptizing those who are ready to come to Christ, and then teaching them how to observe all that you've commanded. That's what we want to do. And we're pleading with you to show us how, just this week, we can take a step in the right direction and use well the opportunities that you provide. Open our eyes. Give us strength. Give us the right words. In Jesus' name.
Amen.